Welcome back, listeners. This is episode number five of Well Talks with Dr. Robert Pony, Dr. Jill Franks, and now Dr. Aaron Shelkran. Uh, so today we are going to be discussing some sports supplements. Not all of them, but we'll get into a bunch of different ones. Um, just a, a few that we kind of came up with a list of that we wanted to chat about. We'll get into some details and... Yeah, let's see where this takes us, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I guess the, the first one we want to talk about, the big one for sports supplements that people don't even consider a supplement sometimes when you ask if they're taking a supplement is protein. Mm -hmm. So definitely a supplement if you're taking it not in a food form. Um, but there are a whole bunch of different types, and we want to clarify what the different types are, the advantages, disadvantages, and um, I guess just whatever comes up. Um, so... Let's start with, uh, I guess, the, the whole milk-based proteins, because yeah. those seem to be the, the most, popular ones. Yeah, yeah. the most popular, mostly used. Um, so I, I do want to preface it with saying that uh, before milk proteins got to where they are with all the technology that went into them, uh, it started off where the research was always coming out based on the most bioavailable source of protein found in the diet, which was actually egg whites. Um, so egg whites, in terms of just a... a protein source and this is why they're so popular are the most bioavailable meaning um, if you're taking in uh, five grams of egg whites you're getting most of that in protein um, that used to be the best we could do and now with technology we've created different supplemental proteins that far surpass egg whites so uh, in terms of getting them out of a supplement then supplements can be more available and easier to kind of mix into different things than just having egg whites all the time mm -hmm. uh, so the milk-based proteins there's the, the two main types. There's the whey and the casein. Um, just, if you want to talk about some whey protein there, Eric? Yeah, so uh, with, with whey being the most popular use for, for athletes or for just avid gym goers, um, there's, it's one of the most common and most produced, I would say. Um, with, you know, with the whey protein, there it's broken down into the, main, the two main subsects are concentrate and isolate um, isolate being the most like Rob said most bioavailable and one of the most commonly purchased because of its bioavailability and how fast it does absorb in in your body um, actually before, before we, we go forward do you want to let the viewers know why it's very important to have something that's going to be absorbed fast opposed to something that's going to be absorbed slowly or take longer sure yeah and there, there's advantages to both but um, with the way what's happening is, especially after a workout, your body is primed to kind of absorb everything that you give to it, whether that's carbs, protein, or anything else, um, supplement-wise or otherwise. But um, with the rapid absorption into the blood because of the molecule size of the whey, you're really taking it all into the muscles quickly and using it for protein synthesis. Um, but even more so, you're turning your body into a more anabolic state, which is supporting that muscle growth. So once you've done a workout to take full advantage of all that hard work you did, you want something that gets into the bloodstream quickly so you can start taking advantage of that right away. Um, and that's the advantage over the, for the ways anyway. Mm -hmm. Not to say that getting that rapid spike is better or worse. It's just one of the pros for ways. And it would also be like dependent, right? You know, like you said, finishing a workout is, you know, when that, that window, the window of opportunity is is really needing more protein um but yeah like like you said it really depends on the time on uh you know the time that you're taking it and what type of protein you're taking right so 
Exactly. Yeah. The, 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 the positives with the whole rapid absorption can sometimes actually go against it as well. And that's why I say it depends on what the situation is because some people actually show insulin spikes because of how rapidly absorbed the whey proteins are. So for people on ketogenic diets that are avoiding these insulin spikes, sometimes taking whey by itself can actually kind of kick you out of ketosis, even if it's within your protein levels for the day. So that's where I, I do prefer whey. I not. I don't want to turn people away from it. I think it is one of the best sources of protein we can get. But um, it, if you're looking to really take control of that insulin spike and really make sure you're doing a proper ketogenic diet, for example, then whey can cause a spike and may kick you out of ketosis. Again, different for everybody. It's not necessarily true for all people taking it, but it is something that is a good and can be, I guess, not bad, but less good, depending on what your uses are for it. So then would you recommend at all taking maybe a half a dose or half of the recommended dose right after the workout and then delaying the second half by two, three hours? Would there be any benefit with that? It's a good question. And I think that will have to relate kind of like with glycemic index versus glycemic load. Mm -hmm. So I don't think taking less will necessarily stop that spike because it's going to get absorbed rapidly regardless. Right. But I think the peak will change. But then that's the whole like glycemic load thing where if you mix it with something else, that might delay that response. And not might, it, it will, because it's being bound with other things. So Aaron was talking about this just earlier, um, before the podcast went live, where, yeah, if you take it mixed with some fats or even some fibers, you're going to slow down that absorption where you're not going to get that dramatic spike and you'll have a bit more sustained release, but you're still getting that really bioavailable way. So you don't necessarily need to cut the dose, but just kind of mix the dose with other things. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that's the, so that, the, that's actually where some of the pros come in for the whey concentrate, because there's the isolate and the concentrate, like we were saying earlier, where the isolate is going to be mostly just whey protein. And whey is, so there's two main proteins in milk. There's the whey and the casein. They make up the, the majority of the proteins that are found in milk. Uh, and the whey is usually the more hypoallergenic of the two. So people that have dairy sensitivities don't always react to whey, but it usually has to be an isolate. What the isolate means is, uh, don't quote me on the numbers, but I think it has to be, maybe one of you can clarify more for me, but I think it's 95% or something like that or more has to be just whey protein. So only 5% is left there to be casein or other but it has to be a pretty high concentration. And at those levels, you don't tend to react because it's just uh, too few of the casein. So if anyone's really reacting to proteins in milk, it's usually the casein. Again, not for everybody, but they can. And that's where the concentrates come in, where the concentrates are about 70% whey. So a little bit more flexibility there, and you get a little bit of a slower absorption, not as slow as just casein on its own, but not as fast as a whey isolate, which again can be advantageous if you, depending on your needs, and we'll, we'll get into that and what goes where there too. Um, sorry, it's a freezing cold day <laughs> today. It's, what is it, uh, January 21st for everybody listening, and it's, it's a minus 30 something day. I'm a little shaky. Uh, um, 
Yeah, so then there's, there's the concentrates and then the casein. So basically when you're, when you're making a whey protein and you're extracting the two, if anyone's ever made cheese before, I've wanted to, I haven't actually done it yet. But uh, you're separating the curds and, and the rest of the milk and usually separating the whey and the casein. Um, and what happens is during that separation, because of the extra technology, we can really fine tune it down to mostly just whey and mostly just casein, and then we can sell the two separately. Casein, again, this is very dependent on the person. Casein can be more inflammatory of the two, but it has some advantages if it doesn't bother you. So personally, I, I've tried taking casein before. I, I'm a little bit lactose intolerant, um, and it caused some digestive upset for me. Uh, it kind of got better the longer I did it, but I was finding myself a lot more phlegmy, a lot more congestion. Uh, so it wasn't the greatest in terms of the reaction I was having to dairy. Not everybody has that. Some people are perfectly fine. And if so, then you can take advantage of casein. But uh, casein is the bigger molecule, slower digested, and kind of stays in the bloodstream for longer. So this is where casein kind of comes into those bodybuilding circles specifically. Like they, mm -hmm. they usually take more advantage of it where they'll take a dose of casein just before bed. So that's while they're resting, recovering from whatever they've done throughout the day they're stimulating that protein synthesis prolonged through the night. So that's, there's never really like a dip in protein. I mean, there's going to be eventually, but at least you're kind of prolonging. Yeah, that. It, gives you, it gives your body more access for a longer time for, the, for that available protein. Um, that's actually where our, our conversation was before, where uh, I was saying that, yes, as an alternative to taking casein, um, a lot of people have been using or adding, you know, things like coconut oil, um, olive oil, even to their to their protein, and actually even cinnamon, um, like adding powdered, pure powdered cinnamon to it as well, to help um, with any like any increase in blood sugar that whatever protein you are taking that helps with that. But it also the the fats in the in the added to the protein shake help to slow down and 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 allow the protein to stay in your system for a longer period of time. Um, yeah, so you, not to interrupt you, uh, continue. No, that's a, that's a great option. I think if casein does bother you, I mean, there's other proteins we're gonna get into too, mm -hmm. so you can take advantage of different proteins, but if you're going for a milk protein, which tend to be on the higher studied end of being very bioavailable, um, then I would suggest if casein bothers you, then go for a mixed whey kind of thing. Just mix it with something. Just don't have it just whey and water mm -hmm. um, because then you'll, you'll get a bit of a prolonged sustained release of it. Yeah. Um, the other big piece there is that with the casein, if you're just someone who's exercising once in a while, it's not really going to be more beneficial to you. It's really going to be more calories and maybe some inflammation. So I'm not really recommending casein for most people. Um, only if you're really serious into the kind of bodybuilding size kind of it's more world. of like a specific use I, I, I find like it in, in terms of even like from a sales perspective like we'd be very hesitant in, in selling any random person a, a casein supplement unless the, the use is really specified and and they are an avid gym or they're training regularly they have a specific regimen that they're following that requires them to have a slow release protein each night right so that that would be one of the dependent factors on whether or not I would want someone taking a casein exactly yeah. if your goal is really size and more strength with the size then sure add a casein 
but you're still, it's not going to be your main protein anyway. So you need to know going in that you're going to probably have two different proteins you're drawing from. And um, so if, you are, if your main goal is just strength and you're starting out, probably just go with the whey or if you're you know vegetarian we'll get into different options as well but it's not going to be your main protein yeah it's kind of always a, a, a supplement to the supplement if yeah. that makes sense yeah that's, that's interesting because okay. i know from a female perspective too i get a lot of um our female clients coming up to me and shy away from taking a protein powder because they are really afraid of bulking up you know i don't want to get bulky mm -hmm. i hear that all the time um, and i assure them like no you know taking the protein powder and a protein shake after your workout is really going to help with the the repair and increasing the strength but um that's interesting too with knowing the differences between the casein and the way um, chances are i wouldn't be recommending a casein yeah. powder to them then. well it's it's funny you, you said that that question that's actually a very common question not a, not only with with women and i think the fact of the matter is uh, sports nutrition is is a really misconstrued, misunderstood, um, you know, topic. And the word supplement itself is is thrown around day to day, where no one really kind of identifies the fact that a supplement is meant to supplement what you are doing, supplement your lifestyle, supplement your diet, supplement your your workouts. So, in in the grand scheme of things, you know, people are often are often talking about you know protein or or you know various vitamins or sports nutrition supplements like creatine like we'll talk about later and they're assuming they're this magic pill that's just gonna you know put pounds and pounds of muscle on you or make you lose pounds and pounds of fat and it's really important to identify really what it is like protein why we were saying before it's it's you know kind of forgotten as a supplement uh, uh, as being an actual supplement it's, it's because essentially it's a it's a food protein is a food source and Taking it as a, as a supplement, taking it in shape, just helps to increase its its overall absorption and, and help you help it get to your muscles at a faster rate. Yeah, and back to that bulking piece, I love mm -hmm. that because that comes up so often. And uh, there's a lot of different factors that play a big role there, and one of them being hormones. Women just don't have the amount of testosterone to easily get to the big bulky kind of male size. And I promise you, if it was that easy to bulk up by just taking some protein, then we'd all be a lot bigger as a society. It's not that easy, even with an exercise program, to get huge. You have to do very specific things to put on size like that. And I promise just taking a protein isn't gonna do that. It doesn't matter, really. If you're, if you're just exercising for health, you don't have to worry about bulking up. There's yeah. very specific yeah. ways to do that to get big. And if it's just once in a while, again, you're not gonna put on this gigantic size just because you're taking a protein powder. Uh, but it's an important thing that's often overlooked. And yeah, a lot of women especially get turned away from stuff that can really just help them with recovery and all. Um, but well, it's funny you said like as a as a trainer seeing seeing this and, and hearing that that topic regularly. It's funny you you, you mention hormones is because it. it it's a topic that you know gets lost on a uh, on a lot of people where they just assume they see sports nutrition and because for years sports nutrition was was mainly marketed towards men they look at protein and steroids as being the same thing mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter you know what you know what it's it's it said it's or, or what we say it's sports nutrition so it's meant to get big it's meant to build muscle and and you know, gain tons of weight. 
but that that's the com the common misconception and and that's something that we need to do to educate everybody and and let people know that the fact that you know the male dominant hormone being testosterone allows us to allows men to have that physique but even saying that just because a man is going to start taking you know a, a whey protein shake after every workout does not mean at all that he's just going to blow up mm-hmm. like so uh, you know like dr rob was saying it's it's not going to happen if, if that was the case we would all be <laughs> way bigger way more defined and, and developed there's so much more that goes into it than just taking that supplement the amount of protein i've taken i should have like an eight pack and um pretty much look like the hulk but <laughs> but that's also a problem with the advertising a lot of these supplements oh, yeah. is that what's the picture that gets associated with mm-hmm. all a tub of protein and some beast of a human that, that is clearly a professional bodybuilder slash model for these companies mm-hmm. and that's not what happens when you start taking pro- it's not yeah. that well, easy even just the look of the tub of protein too mm-hmm. it just looks like it's something yeah. that you know a big bodybuilder <laughs> needs to have all those muscles just to carry the tub out of the store exactly. <laughs> it's so true yeah um, and yeah, the, the other proteins we, we can get into too because it's not just the milk base. So if you do like alternatives, if you're sensitive to dairy, I mean, the next biggest one is probably a vegetarian-based mm-hmm. protein. Personally, I haven't found one that tastes good. <laughs> uh, but if you have different taste preferences, that's great. Um, some of them are trying to be fermented, so they're easily digestible. Whatever the case, there's a whole slew of vegetarian-based proteins, which can be very good. And they're often kind of misunderstood. So yeah, there has to be a blend for you to get a complete amino acid profile. So the, the advantage with an animal-based protein is that you get all your amino acids that you need for muscle building and everything. Right? Actually, so, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Rob. I, I, just for everybody listening, I do want to actually backpedal a little bit on that uh, and really understand that it's not – the idea of protein, it, go, it goes further than just the idea of taking protein. And like you just mentioned – it's the amino acids that are that are making up the protein. That's the big reason why we need, you know, why we need to take a protein. It's not just for the fact that we're taking this fancy thing called protein. It's the amino acids that make it up. Could you, before we continue on to the the types, could you elaborate more on what like what these amino acids are, what they actually do in our body? Sure. Yeah, uh, I can't name them all off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. I used no, to be tons. able to. I no, promise. Tons. But uh, basically, there's eight ones that we really need, and those are the essential amino acids. So there's 20 that really get used in all the processes throughout the body, at least that we we know of. Um, it's, oh, the eight that are the essential ones are the ones that we need to kind of really make things happen because we can't produce them ourselves. So. Of the 20, 12 we create just through breakdown of other fuels, and then eight we need to obtain through the diet. I remember the acronym to remember them all. If anyone's ever studied amino acids, it's Private Tim Hall. And then there's some asterisks on a few letters because some are conditionally essential, meaning like babies can't produce them right away or preterm can't, and then you can. Uh, And there's always conditions that can lead to, uh, what's the word here? A varying ability to make some. But... In a healthy adult, eight of them we need to obtain through our diet. The whole complete versus incomplete protein stems from a food product having all eight of the ones that we can't make in it. And so anything animal-based has all eight that we need. And then vegetarian ones tend to have maybe six or seven. I don't know the exact number. They're just not complete. They don't have all eight. Not a bad thing. And that's why traditionally you see a lot of cultures who just mix 
proteins. So like rice and beans, you get a complete amino acid profile. Um, you can talk about that with like any grain and legume. If you combine two, you're usually getting a complete amino acid picture there. Um, the importance being is that if you don't get enough of one, even just one little one out of the eight that you need, it kind of stops your body from making all the rest of the things it needs to make. And proteins are used not just to build muscle in the body, but for like hormones are protein-based, our immune system is protein-based, um, a lot of the structures of our body, like everything's kind of made up of protein on some level, and so we need those to be constantly being produced. So if we only had a diet consisting of rice, we would never get all the pro I mean, there's a lot of other nutritional problems that would arise from there, but say rice had everything except for a complete amino acid profile, we'd eventually stop being able to synthesize everything we need. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big importance with the difference between the vegetarian and the, um, the animal-based proteins. That being said, there are some very hypoallergenic vegetarian protein sources that are single source so i think pumpkin seed is a very popular one where it's just pumpkin seed it's not a complete amino acid picture but because we and and the people creating these supplements trust that you eat other things throughout the day you're going to balance that picture out so you don't even necessarily need to have something that's blended to get all your protein, your amino acids, you can get it through your diet in addition to what you're taking and it's still helpful, but it is better if you're looking for a complete protein in a vegetarian source to get a blend of some sort. So that's why you see a lot of rice and pea or, I don't know, those are the big ones really, yeah. but any uh, kind of smashed up vegetables. Um, the vegetarian sources though are also less bioavailable. So somebody taking 20 grams of a whey protein is gonna to have to take a little bit more of a vegetarian protein to kind of balance out how much actually gets converted and used in the body, regardless of that amino acid profile. Right. Um, it's not really a specific number. I always recommend like if we're doing a protein thing for body weight, um, depending on your level of uh, like what you're doing, Typical recommendations are about two grams of protein per kilo of body weight, somewhere around there. It started off much lower and we've noticed that we use protein for a lot more and that number's gone up. So say if somebody having a mixed diet needs two grams per kilo, if they were on a vegetarian diet, I usually like to bump it up by 0.2 grams per kilo. So 2.2 grams. Those are just, again, not specific. I'm just throwing numbers out here. But uh, you want a little bit more and that's per kilo of your body weight. So if you're a 100 kilo person, just because that's an easy number to work with, you need 200 grams of protein in a day. If you had a mixed diet, if it was very vegetarian, you'd need about 220, so an extra 20 grams of protein throughout the day. Um, the vegetarian sources can be perfectly good. I think they taste bad if you guys tried vegetarian ones. Oh, yeah. yeah, they don't mix always so well. They taste a little funny. They've come a long way. Like They have. Uh, funny enough, like there's a few brands actually. Like Vega has uh, now their their vegan line, uh, sports nutrition uh, uh, um, line. I should say is their protein powder for their sports nutrition is is quite good. Um, it's actually called Vega Sport, and it mixes a lot better. Um, Sun Warrior is another one that's has been known not to taste the greatest. Having said that, quality wise, a lot better. But even looking back. 10 years from now when, when uh, it, like, you know, isolates were just starting to come on, 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 uh, on the scene. It was always, they were always very, like protein in general was always very gritty and, and almost sandpaper-like. Um, so I think now with like, like uh, Dr. Rob was saying, with the technology advancing, that now it's becoming a lot more, you know, palatable. 
I should say. Yeah, definitely has come a long way. Um, the other nice thing about the vegetarian proteins is that if he reacts to casein, whey's okay. Vegetarian actually has a bit of a slower absorption rate. So instead of going with whey, which can cause some inflammation, you can go with the cleaner vegetarian sources. You're slower to break down protein if you really want to go that way. Um, it's not quite as slow as casein, but it's not nearly as fast as like a whey isolate. A um, little bit slower than a concentrate too in terms of absorption, so it'll stick around in the bloodstream a little longer. Um, it's usually because even though it's protein, there's a lot of fiber and stuff mixed in with it because of the plant-based, uh, it just slows down the absorption, which is a good thing. Um, the other big new research stuff that's come out with uh, the vegetarian proteins that I really like sharing is that leucine. So are you guys familiar with leucine? Yep. Great. We'll talk about it probably not today, but in another podcast, but it is an amino acid specifically of the branch chain amino acids. And we'll, we'll talk about that one next, but, um, it's a very important amino acid and they're finding that when you actually you add a scoop there's like five three to five grams of leucine to a vegetarian protein supplement it puts it on par with like the ways in terms of bioavailability and everything it just boosts it by that much that you're getting the same quality stuff and leucine i believe is corn based which some arguments against corn sure but it's vegetarian so if you're looking for it to not be animal sourced and getting very good quality protein out of your vegetarian protein then adding a little bit of leucine can go a long way into balancing that out so it's kind of interesting there um, so um, for, for those of you listening also there uh, another common uh, question that people have is that if you are not working out so you know dr. Rob maybe maybe you can feel this one as well um, but a common question I get regularly is if you're not working out or not working out a lot can someone still use a protein um, supplement uh, in their diet? You can, but um, it really depends on the situation. So if, if there's really no reason for it, you don't have to. If you're a very picky eater and you're not having too much meat or even good sources of plant proteins, then it may be very helpful because like I said, it can help with everything from the immune system to just growth and development to um, hair structure like if your hair is getting too thin it could be just lacking enough protein rare in you know living here where we do it's easier to find good sources of protein but um, what I would do really is kind of you know, meet with somebody who can pick apart your diet and see what you're getting on the regular and making sure that you're getting enough to meet your needs yeah if you're not it can be an excellent health supplement in terms of boosting what you weren't able to eat or like kind of I don't like leaning on supplements as a crutch they shouldn't be that it should always come from the diet first and even people exercising if they can get if they can eat enough protein in the diet to not have to supplement then that's great they should definitely do that but it is one of the first supplements I recommend when people do start exercising just because it has so many benefits but um, somebody who's not exercising can definitely do it take one and it can be healthy for them but they do have to balance out whether it's it's too much or if they actually need it because anything that you start consuming in excess gets turned into fat if if you're not using the protein you're taking in you it's just extra calories for your body if you're actually using it great it gets used very differently but um, it really will depend on what they're doing on the day-to-day -day and how much nutrition they're getting like before considering the yeah. supplement and just kind of bringing us back to that same point where these are used as supplements and uh, just like any other supplement when you walk into a supplement store you can 
you can be made to believe that you need everything on the shelf. Yeah. And there's a very specific argument for every supplement there. But having said that, they're they're there to supplement what you are not doing or what you are not in, ingesting in, in your regular day. Case in point, protein. You know, uh, if you're getting enough protein in your diet, that's you know the number one reason why. Okay, maybe you don't need to have you know two three shakes a day to kind of supplement what you're not getting because you're getting enough uh in, in terms of your your workout you're supplementing that need for protein and the need for fast absorbing protein post-workout hence the reason you'd want to take a shake after a workout absolutely yeah um and it doesn't always replace like yeah it's like you said there like taking something extra doesn't mean it's going to be great for you long term so not that I do want to talk about safety too because that's important we'll talk about safety for all of these but I mean if your diet's really lacking that you're not exercising and you're needing a protein supplement there's more serious problems you need to take care of and how you're eating and just taking a supplement isn't going to make that all better and all go away um, there's synergies that come out of food and how they're made that you're not getting when you're taking just a supplement and it's always always better to get it from the diet and exactly like you said, it's a supplement. It's called a supplement for a reason. Uh, that's very important. Um, other proteins? Unless we have anything else on vegetarian? Um, not even on vegetarian, actually. One of the things I want to touch base, because I don't think, uh, unless I completely zoned out, but I, I don't think that uh, we, we touch base on really the main difference between concentrate and isolate and what that really, that really means. Um, now, maybe you give us... Uh, the full description of, of the difference between what makes a protein a concentrate versus an isolate. I think we did talk about a little, just that whole how much of it is whey, because that's only really used in the, the dairy supplements. So now looking at it from like the, the macronutrient idea, like if you're comparing an isolate, uh, an isolate protein, you're, you're typically going to, are typically going to see, uh, close to zero grams of cholesterol or milligrams of cholesterol, uh, the sodium should be close to zero, the carb intake and the sugar should be close to zero. Um, from my perspective, seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of concentrates on the, on, the, on the market, that's not the case for, for, for them. So you'll see a lot higher or, or a lot more carbs in their, in their blends, a lot more cholesterol, a lot more sodium. Um, that's one of the things that I'd want like I want the majority of the viewers to, to understand why there's a discrepancy in, in, in terms of both isolates and, and concentrates. It's really what's in it, opposed to just the fact that there's you know more active way in one than the other. Um, it's that the fact that there's more cholesterol or more sodium or more carbs, it's not as, as clean. Yeah, right. I didn't understand where you're going with it fully, but yeah. <laughs> uh, the other big thing is to know the difference between a protein supplement and like a mass gainer, because mm. there will be a lot of protein in a mass gainer, but they're also going to put a lot of sugars and stuff to help with those calories. Yeah. Don't recommend most people take mass gainers. There's better ways to get in food, but for some people, it's really hard to put on weight, um, and they can be helpful. But again, the sources of where these like it's just going to be straight sugars added yeah. to these things to just boost they always come at a cost exactly so not the best but um yeah a lot of proteins too just that are labeled as proteins concentrates usually will have a lot of sugars and stuff added just because of the flavors they get crazy because people get bored of the same things um look for something sweetened with stevia 
or not sweetened at all. Vanilla is pretty, pretty tasty on its own. Um, chocolate, you can just use cocoa. Like there's easy ways to make things taste good without having to add a bunch of sugars. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, definitely watch for that in the protein supplements. Um, in terms of the other ones, I guess we'll quickly, I mean, just spent quite a bit of time on protein, that's good. Um, I do want to mention that there's the beef and collagen proteins that are gaining popularity now. I like them. I like them as an alternative for people that are sensitive to dairy but don't quite like or want to go to a vegetarian protein just because of bioavailability. <laughs> bioavailability. Um, I, I do think they have really good absorbability. The, the only thing I've noticed with beef protein specifically is that just take a little bit more time to blend it. It doesn't mix as well as the, the dairies, uh, like the ways it's kind of bigger. It clumps and it's a little chewy if you just try to like hand mix it. You definitely have to put some warm water or put it in a blender and mix it into a smoothie. Otherwise it tastes very good uh, you got really good absorption out of it complete amino acid profile and um, as long as you're not opposed to having meat then you're good with the, the beef if the dairy is a problem so I'd always usually start with a whey but uh, then there's other reasons to go elsewhere they're a little bit more expensive because they're newer so you got to cost as a factor you got to look at that uh, and then the collagens honestly I've, I've seen this craze start with the whole ketogenic thing I don't know that they're as great as they are like I think they're good I definitely think they're a good source of protein but are they better than the rest I don't necessarily think so and when we're talking about those insulin spikes like I said before like that can happen if you're probably just taking collagen on its own anyway so you're gonna have to mix it regardless just like a way you can avoid those spikes with ways too if you're just taking them mixed with other fats um, so I don't know that it's this super protein as above all proteins anything new that comes out is advertised like that but i do think it's a good source and um, it can help with a lot of other things too so we use collagen for like skin hair nails um, it def definitely helps kind of keep softer skin healthier mm -hmm. hair stuff like that so if you want to do that great uh, and then there's the insect proteins that I always find interesting. Have either of you tried an insect protein? Yet. I haven't yet. I've been yeah. really wanting to, but I always end up stopping myself from getting them. They're, <laughs> they're interesting. Flavor-wise, there's nothing to it. I actually think they taste better than vegetarian proteins most of the time. But there's just a weirdness to it in terms of, and not even that you're eating insects. I don't even care about that. It's the fact that, like, I had a cricket protein, all right? We, we did it when I was in my... Um, when I was still finishing up my training and we had a day where we brought in different proteins. So everyone tried to bring in whatever they had if it was different from everybody else's and our, our supervisor brought in the cricket protein he'd been talking about. And they also do it with mealworms and stuff mm -hmm. now too. He had cricket. So we brought it in, mixed it up. And what I found was that it separated really funny. So like you, you just, we just mixed it in a, like a shaker cup. And I'm, what I'm assuming was like the exoskeleton ground up was floating at the top and the rest would just sank to the bottom. So there was like nothing in the middle and you either got like a crunchy muff full of, of stuff. It didn't taste like anything so it wasn't disturbing in that way. It was just weird. So I'd say like if you're, if you're all for it, great. It's a very renewable resource. It's really easy to mass produce crickets and nobody seems to care when insects die. Um, yeah. But um, it, I'd bake with it. I think it would blend better if you just baked it into something. It would kind of spread out a little bit more. But mixing it just straight up in water or like a coconut milk or something like that doesn't work so well in my experience. Uh, but otherwise, it does have the, the other benefits to it. Are there. It's a good source of B12 and iron. So if you're vegetarian, but insects don't fall into your no 
no living, th I don't know, whatever. If you're good <laughs> with insects, can be a great source of some nutrients that you'd be missing in a vegetarian or vegan diet. Um, so uh, good things to consider. It's, it's very renewable. It doesn't really take up a lot of um, like land like, like um, cows do. Whether you're using that as beef protein or milk, you still need a bunch of cows to make that happen. And we all know with the whole methane and the, you know, taking over fields. Crickets don't take up a lot of space. They don't really take up a lot of energy. Uh, so you can make a lot of them. So that's great. They're, I think they're overpriced right now for how renewable they're supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> so once that cost comes down, it's very niche right now. Yeah, but, that's uh, why. Yeah, yeah. So it could be a good source and it would be an easy one for a lot of people to get. Provide some additional nutrition that's harder to find if you're not having a lot of plants, but uh, very weird texture-wise <laughs> right now. Um, so speaking a lot about protein, um, kind of the next step is the BCAAs or the branched-chain amino acids, which are protein or amino acids that are making up the protein. So in what situations would somebody choose to take a BCAA instead of a protein powder, or is it best taken together? Um, yeah, so I'm, you know what, I can, I can feel that. So they, although they are all amino acids, um, they, they are used differently and they're used for different different purposes now uh, I'd want uh, I'd want dr. Rob to go a little bit more in depth on on this after I explain it um, a B BCAs are, are made of, of three amino acids that we don't if I'm not mistaken we don't we don't produce these amino acids um, and we don't get enough of them from from our diet so these are leucine isoleucine and valino before I continue, am I, am I incorrect on anything? No, um, the, the, the reason they get so kind of brought up in the sports supplement world is that of all the 20 amino acids that we use to do all the things with in our body, uh, our muscles are mostly made up of these three, and that's why they kind of get really thrown in with the whole bodybuilding kind of thing, because if our muscles have mostly these, then we probably want to take in more of them. Um, and I think the statistic on that is like if there's there's 20 amino acids that are going to make up all the structures and in our muscles specifically 33% of that comes from just those three which means it doesn't seem like a big number when you consider there's 17 other ones and 33% of that is only coming from three it's a good chunk of our muscle it's not all of it definitely not but uh, it is a big piece so that's why they're so important and are those three amino acids now from what I recall and again I could be wrong are those primarily do we get them mainly from from our food or is our body actually producing them as well because if I'm, if I'm not if I'm not incorrect and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right that these are some, uh, these are three aminos that we don't produce and that we need to get them from external sources yeah um, so uh, and again don't don't quote me on that guys like please google it figure it out let, let, um, let us know if, if, if we are incorrect but I'm, pr I'm pretty sure that is the case now in terms of sports nutrition, why they're used, and again, Rob, feel free to chime in when, when, whenever, but the whole idea is you'd be taking them in and around your workout. So uh, you can take them you know, pre and post, you could take them during, uh, some people take, will take it during or some people will take it right after. And one of the, the main uses is they actually help to shuttle carbs and sugar from your system into your liver to be converted into glycogen and that from there shuttled into the muscle. Am I correct, incorrect, do, am I leaving anything out? Uh, no, I think you, you're getting it all there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, is a common, it is a common supplement used, especially if you are 
you know, if you have a higher carb diet, um, if you are, you know, looking to develop lean mass, lean muscle mass. And again, that doesn't mean bulking up guys. Um, it means just lean muscle mass and it helps to replenish glycogen stores located in the muscle. So it's really increasing overall glycogen, you know, that, that your body needs, especially in relation to your workout. The, the nice thing about BCAs is that, well, first of all, before I get into that, actually, that it's really important to understand the ratio because uh, there's good formulated BCAs and there's bad. Um, really, when it gets down to it, that leucine is the most important of those BCAAs. So I don't even tell many people to take them if they can find just a leucine supplement on its own because it has the most anabolic muscle building effects and taking the other two kind of help but you're getting a, enough of them if you're taking a protein shake as well like a protein supplement uh, but that leucine is so important and what I mean by good formulations and bad is that you always want there to be four times as much leucine in your BCAA supplement as the other two mm -hmm. so the ratio that you should see somewhere on that label and they will promote it if they have it is four to one to one um, sometimes you get a two to one to one and that's just it's not enough it's yeah. not enough leucine for what else is there um, I've even seen ones as high as 12 to 1 to 1. I mean, at that point, just, just get leucine yeah. on its own. Uh, but that is emphasizing the importance of that leucine. And it, it really needs to be there to cause all of those muscle building effects. Um, what I really like specifically about BCAAs is that um, if someone's on like a, a muscle building but weight loss type of plan where they want to cut some weight, in protein, there's four calories per gram that you get. Right? That goes the same for BCAs, goes the same for regular protein. A dose, like a proper dose to get some anabolic effects from BCAs is only about 5 grams. My, I think mm -hmm. I'm right on that, right? Okay. Um, a regular scoop of protein powder when you're doing one scoop is about 20, 25, up to 40 grams. Mm -hmm. um, and then depending on your protein, that might not just be protein. There might be some sugar mixed in and then that's going to cause a lot more calories. So I like to use BCAs and even leucine as more of a, a weight loss but muscle preserving kind of supplement. So you can sometimes replace that whole big scoop of protein powder with just some BCAAs and kind of offset, like you spare the muscle breakdown after a workout, so you're still preserving that muscle mass, but you're also getting a lot less calories. So mm -hmm. it's a nice way to kind of cut calories without really not missing any nutrition if you're eating the rest that you should be, but it's a good lower calorie dose of something that's going to help you build muscle still. Um, that's where I really find them the most useful. That's great. That's very clear. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, in terms of safety of both of these proteins, so protein and then BCAAs, there's a lot of uh, misconception around if you take a lot of protein, your kidneys are going to explode and your liver is going to just <laughs> melt. Uh, <laughs> there's no research that supports any of that. They've done studies where they give people a ton of protein, like drinking a protein shake every half hour for like a month. And they find, actually, the only thing they really found was that it supports weight loss because they're getting so full off protein, their body's having to break down all this extra protein that they're not using. And it's increasing their metabolism a little because of that whole extra, extra steps involved in breaking down protein versus just sugar. And um, they're losing weight and preserving muscle mass. Kidneys are fine, livers, everything's fine. Everything's functioning just fine. Um, same with BCAAs, same with protein. Um, the, the thing is that our bodies are meant to handle these things, even if it's in a supplemental form, in a healthy person. The only time I'd maybe hesitate is someone who already has a pre-existing kidney kind of condition. But even then, it doesn't mean that taking a supplement's bad for them. It's yeah. just taking too much and a supplement is going to be bad for them. Because I promise you, if you've ever seen somebody 
<clears throat> on dialysis or anything like that. The supplements they give them are protein shakes, basically, with a whole bunch of crap. I don't like those insure things. I'm very adamant on how bad they are. But there's protein in there. They need protein. If they're not going to have protein, they're not going to do well in whatever. doesn't matter how, what kind of health condition they're in. Um, so it's just the, the, the fact that if somebody already has some kind of outstanding condition, you don't need to overdo it. Mm -hmm. But you can still safely take a protein supplement. As long as it's within your daily values that you should be having. Yeah, I like to rant about that one. Well, that, that, it's you know what it's it's so important, especially like listen. At the end of the day, consuming anything, depending on who you are, can be deemed a risk, right? So that's again why there's so many warnings on everything you you see, and I think that's what actually scares people is the fact that you know companies, supplement companies, have to put you know a hundred different warnings on on every bottle. And it's, it's number one, guys, to stress the fact that that's to cover their own behind. But on, on top of the fact is, yes, if you are not a healthy person or something is wrong with you, you have to just be more cautious if something medically is, is not working the way it, it should be. Like, for example, if your kidneys are not functioning at, you know, at, at its maximum capacity, it is something you have to be aware of that there is an inherent risk to taking certain supplements or or even eating certain foods you know it it's it's essentially one and the same you just have to be cautious and be aware of your own your own health and that's why consulting you know a naturopath is is a, a key you know a, a key thing for you guys to do as well yeah um i think we covered all the, the big proteins there, so yeah. And again, great. we sort of had a few more on our list that we wanted to touch base on, but I'm sure we'll be doing other podcasts yeah, on, we'll release on a lot it. more, more supplements and information. Perfect. Um, look out for creatine. I want to talk about that one next. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's a big be an one. exciting one. Love that topic. Um, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, if the viewers have any questions, please. Feel free to comment. Let us know if you have anything you think we missed on any of the topics we covered. You want more detail on it. Um, we've written some blog posts on these as well, so check it out. And uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye guys. Thanks, guys.